the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. news. 
It's a scandal in the city of Corinth. And we can't be 100% sure of the exact relationship. But I think the wording suggests here that this man was involved in a, a prolonged relationship with his stepmother. I don't think it was his mother. I would say it was his stepmother. And it was a type of relationship that the Old Testament law, the Jewish law, expressly prohibited. But here it's been happily going on in this church in Corinth. And when it says here that the church was proud in verse 2, I don't think they were proud because of the sin. They could have been, I don't think they are. I don't think they're putting it on the sort of the front page of their website, look at us, we, we can accommodate this type of thing. Or they're in sort of having a, a sort of a challenge with the temple up in the mountain. And look what we can do, you can't do this. I don't think they're proud in that sense. I think they're proud despite the presence of sin in their midst. It was happening, they knew about it. They're all happy still that church is going on. And they're boasting when they should be blushing. It's most likely that the woman involved wasn't a Christian because there's no mention of any sort of discipline against her unrepentant sin. Some commentators that they tend to puzzle over why is the church turning a blind eye to this unrepentant sin. Some go into where they think the man is quite well off and he's sort of a, he's giving a lot to the church so we, we, we really we need him, need him to stay. They don't want to lose him. But we can't say that the text doesn't say it. I think knowing my own heart as a church leader, you know, the temptation is, is it just easier not to deal with stuff? I don't know. But I think the striking thing in the passage is where Paul directs his criticism. It's not actually at the man in this relationship, but it's at the church that tolerated it. We might think, you know, church, the church should just live and let live. My, my, my grandmother just used to say, Simon, you know, it takes all sorts. Just get on with it. But in Paul's eyes, their silence on this matter sort of rendered them guilty. So he asks them, how can you be so proud? How can you be so arrogant? when something like this is happening. Here is a church, and I, I don't know, I'm, we weren't there. They may not be explicitly celebrating sin from the front. They may even hold to a biblical view, a biblical understanding of sexuality. But they remain silent when members depart from it. And that's why Paul is outraged. And I think, can I say as a, as a church leader, um, the pressure to turn a blind eye is big. Um, in, in Exmouth, if two people turn up to a church, it is amazing. We're not that big. So it is amazing. And if two people come in through the door, it's quite exciting.
exciting. And if two people come in and they get stuck into things, that's even more exciting. And they respond to what's going on and, and they seem to be involved and they, they're looking, you know, we, we could be part of this. And then it turns out, after a few conversations, they're living together. They're not married, but they're living together. What do you do? And the temptation is say nothing and do nothing. Surely it has to be better that they're coming, they're involved, they're, they're staying with us. But Paul seems to be saying, perhaps it's not the best thing. I think he hints here three reasons why it's a scandal in Corinth that the church doesn't act. And the first reason, I just want to go through them briefly, the first reason is that, that it, it seems to affect the witness to the world. It seems to damage their witness to the world. Throughout Paul's writings, Paul is concerned that the church doesn't give the world any excuse for their unbelief. Even later in this letter, he explains how he modifies his behavior so he doesn't cause any offense, any unnecessary offense. So he says in 1 Corinthians 9, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I am myself and not under the law, so as to win those under the law. And then he tells them to imitate his behavior. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or to the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And Paul seems to have this gospel flexibility. He wants to win people. And he's flexible. But here the Corinthians were doing the exact opposite. Instead of behaving in the bounds of godliness, so as to encourage the salvation of the lost, they seem to be tolerating behavior outside the bounds of godliness, even though it offended the lost. And Paul says we're supposed to live in such a way to make the teaching of God our Savior attractive. And Paul would say, so it is bad when the church behaves in dissent from the world around it. And you can't tell the difference. And in Corinth, it's pretty bad when the behavior of the church is inferior to the world around. And then its witness is dead and buried. It affects our witness to our non-Christian friends. And then the second reason why the absence of, of, of not talking about this and confronting this unrepentant sin is, Paul says, that it, it can cause contamination of the body. If you look at uh, chapter 5, 6 and 8, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. On the occasion where, and it hasn't been many occasions where I've been involved in, in, in confronting unrepentant sin in churches, looking at church discipline, on the occasions that I have been involved in it, more than once people have said, it's my life, it's got nothing to do with you. 
Paul seems to be saying something else. He seems to be saying that the person's morality, or the morality of one person, one church member, isn't a private matter because it can affect the rest of the body. One person's sin can have an effect on the whole body. It has a dangerous contaminating effect. He says it's like yeast. I don't know if you've ever, I've never tried baking bread. I've never tried baking bread the modern way. I've definitely never tried baking bread the old way. And so I had to do research and if this is wrong, then, you know, yeah, you know how to bake bread better than I do, or the book that I read. But if you are baking bread the old way, it's not a matter of just adding dried yeast to the mixture. Isn't that, oh, good, we're on the rights, we're going well. But in the old way, you have to sort of, you mix the dough and you keep a little bit to the side, and then you cook and it, it works away, but the little bit that you kept to the side, you can add to the new mixture, and then you mix that all up and you keep a little bit to the side, and the process goes on, and when you cook the bread, bake the bread, and then the yeast does its thing, it's magic, and it spreads throughout everything, and everything's good, and the, the bread rises, and it's edible. But on the rare occasion, when that lump of leaven that you've kept back is bad leaven, if it goes acidic or something, then you don't want it added to the new batch, the new mix. Because it'll be a disaster. It'll be an absolute disaster. And then Paul goes further, and even more obvious, if you're trying to make unleavened bread, you would never add any type of leaven to it, bad or good. And if you're making unleavened bread, you have two reasons not to add the bad leaven to the milk. You don't want to add bad stuff, and you just don't want to add leaven. And Paul's point is this, the church is meant to be unleavened. It belongs in the, the free from aisle in the supermarket. It's meant to be free from malice and wickedness. It's meant to be free from unrepentant sin. And that's why Paul says, Sometimes a church needs to go through this process. Because if a church tolerates unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin in the body, it's like introducing bad leaven. The third reason, and perhaps the most serious, it brings dishonor to the Lord. Verses 7 and 8. He says, Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christ gave his own life. And he gave his own life on the cross for the church. He was dying as the Passover lamb. He was dying so that we may be shielded from the judgment of God. So that we may be set free from sin. 
so that we, we may be a pure community of people who are sincere and in truth and in holiness. And Paul is saying, if the church chooses to overlook sin in its midst, we are working against the very purpose for which Jesus Christ came into the world and sacrificed his life. The purpose for which Jesus came into the world was to save sinners, people who are lost, and to transform them into a body of people that are holy and pure and blameless. And if we tolerate obvious, unrepentant sin, we're actually going against what he came to do. So I think there's three reasons Paul brings out why the church in Corinth should choose to deal with the sin and not turn their face from it. So that's the scandal of undisciplined sin. Secondly, the grace, the grace of church discipline, the grace of church discipline. The command comes again and again in 1 Corinthians 5. Shouldn't you rather, verse 2, shouldn't you rather have gone into the morning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Verse 5. Hand this man over to Satan. Verse 7. Get rid of the old yeast. Verse 13. Expel the wicked person from among you. I was trying to think of a way, how do you soften this? And I don't know how. And Jesus himself, in Matthew 18, sets out the process that should be followed. And you can turn to it later this evening for your bedtime reading, and it's, it's good reading. And it's basically said, if you discover a brother or sister engaged in unrepentant sin, the first thing you have to do is you go to speak to them. You speak to them personally, humbly, prayerfully, privately, personally. And to be clear, that means you go and you talk to them. You go and you talk to them. It doesn't mean you talk about them. It doesn't mean you talk to the leaders in the church even about them. You go and you talk to, talk to them. And if they listen, if they repent, that's good news. If they refuse, you find someone to go with you and you talk with them a second time. And only if they still refuse, to face up to their sin, then you come to the church. And I think that when you come to the church, you're probably going to the leadership. And then it becomes their job to deal with it. And in my experience, and listening to others, that usually involves lots of conversations and lots of meetings. And it can be over the case of weeks. I was in a case that wasn't in the church I was in, it was another church and I was pulled into it for some reason. And we were in it for, I think, a year and a half, trying to work things out. Things were messy, things were complex. And it's vital as you go through the process that we show from the Bible what we're doing. We show from the Bible what's happening. And it's vital as you go through the, the process that you provide as much space as possible for repentance. And it's vital as you go through the process you pray like man. Then eventually, if there is no change, and the person is unrepentant, and it's obvious, and they're unrepentant, and they're in sin, and they're, 
That's where they want to be. That the church assembles, Christ is present, and as Paul says, they're removed from the church. And it is always painful. Always painful. It is the worst thing you can do, I think. It's never done lightly. And I think that's why Paul says it's, it's like mourning. You go, you should be mourning, not boasting, you should be mourning. It's like going to a funeral. And it's usually the leaders have to deal with it. So I would urge the church always to pray for your leaders, for wisdom. Because the temptation, just thinking of my own heart, is I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I'd rather do nothing. And Paul here in verses 9 to 13, in case we're confused, he, he wants to make something clear. That this is not how we're meant to relate to people outside the church. Paul is talking about people who claim to be Christian and are part of the church. And he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 13, I'll just read it out. I won't spend long on it. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning that people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. And notice Paul broadens the light in verses 10 and 11. The presenting case in Corinthians is sexual sin. Paul puts sexual immorality alongside those other things. And he says of those other things, if they're obvious, unrepented of sin, you treat it in the same way. But his big point in verses 9 to 13 is, you leave the judgment of those outside the church to God himself. We're not here to judge the world. As our verses make clear, the whole purpose of confronting unrepentant sin in the church is salvation. It's salvation. Verse 5, hand this man over Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Really difficult verse, verse 5. You can, you can go and spend time reading about it. I think the flesh is the part of the person which is ignoring Jesus and rebelling against him. And Paul's hope is by expelling this man from the church, it would bring him to his senses. It would cause him to repent. It would cause him to have a change of mind according to the sin that, that he's involved in. And a change of mind and a change of life. And 
then he can be integrated back into the body of God's people. That's the goal of church discipline. The goal of confronting unrepentance. And can I say churches do not always get this right? Sometimes churches can be heavy-handed, some church, sometimes churches can be self-righteous. But the aim is always that the individual is saved, the rest of the body is kept pure, and the Lord Jesus Christ is honoured. I'm glad to say, as churches, I, I was going to preach 1 Corinthians, I plan to preach it next year, so all those from Belmont, <laughs> who agreed to sign up to Xmas Chapel next year. <laughs> the plan was to do First Corinthians. I think I'm going to change it. It's just too much for me. <laughs> I think we're, 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 we might try to do more. But I'm glad to say we don't spend all our services talking about this. Again, if this is your first Sunday in Belmont, you're very welcome. It's not always like this. But I think it is good through books of the Bible and it's good that we come to passages that we don't necessarily enjoy or they don't make us feel that good. It's good that we have forced to look at them. And can I say as I finish, if there is something in your life that is not right, if there's something in your life that is amiss at this moment, can I encourage you to ask for help? Do not let it rumble on. Do not let it rumble on to when you're stuck in a position and you feel you can't get out of it. Speak to someone. I know here in Belmont there are lots of people who would love to listen and who would love to help you. And they won't pass judgment on you, they genuinely want to help. Please ask for help. And please remember there's something better. That Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. There is grace at the cross of Jesus. There is grace at the cross of Jesus that is sufficient for every sin. Father, we do thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is our Passover lamb, the one who was sacrificed. Thank you that in him we are shielded from your judgment. 
Thank you that in him we are set free. Set free to love you, to serve you in sincerity and in truth. And we do pray in light of his sacrifice for us that you would help us up to honour him in every part of our lives. As individuals, help us to, to fight sin. Help us to keep coming to the cross daily for forgiveness. And Father, we pray as a church, you would help us to, to love one another and to love one another enough to help one another to live lives of, of godliness that will adorn the gospel. Father, we thank you that in you there is grace there is forgiveness and there is there's no sin that you, you cannot forgive so Lord help us to 